Father, you love them with an unconditional love. And may I communicate that with accuracy and efficiency. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and everyone says. Hey, find four people. Say something real nice to them. Just shake hands. Don't be antisocial. We're in the house of God. It's okay. They won't bite. At least I don't think. Amen. can be seated. Hallelujah. I love a friendly church, amen. It's nothing worse than going to a church that won't talk to you. <laughs> God wrote a whole book of words and his people are antisocial. That's kind of, uh, it's kind of weird here. For those that don't know who I am, my name is Minister Vince Thomas. I serve on staff as the point person for our small group ministry at Linked Up Church. And uh, truly, I, I count it an honor to lead small groups because small groups is not about us trying to have a bunch of people to act like us, but it's us as a ministry empowering other people to lead their lives. And so I count it a great honor and a great joy to uh, lead small groups. I'm excited for what God has in store as we're revving up and beginning a summer semester that was just started by small group leaders. See, I told small group leaders that they need to take a break. And then they told me they're not taking a break, so all I can do is just listen. So, amen, the summer semester has just begun, and um, we have a fall semester that I encourage everyone to become a part of. And a lot of the culture of small groups, as the Lord is leading me, is he, he wants me to begin sharing that with the people, sharing that with the ministry. Because if this is what I'm living in, I might as well talk to you all about what I'm excited about. Because... In, in our cultures and, and in our experiences, we, we just haven't had all that great of experiences with, you know, other folk. And so to then say, hey, I want you now to do life with this group of people outside of your regular committed, sometimes two, three, maybe even at some churches, God forbid, four hours. Uh, that was not a thought that people wanted to do. And what happened was because people weren't seeing change in church and ministries and small groups or they said, I don't want to deal with that mess. They began putting things in place of their spiritual development. They began substituting activity for productivity, substituting a good time for actually developing with each other iron sharpening iron to the point where as churches, we gather, but when we leave, we're isolated. And so I want to go back to the very beginning. This will be a multi-part series. I don't know how many times I'm going to get up, but until I get it out, I'm going to just keep talking about the same thing. Amen. And uh, I'm just going to take my time tonight, not in a rush. Uh, so I, I know my clock. Uh, since Patrick's not here, I'll just do two hours. Real simple. I know you all won't tell or post your inbox. Amen. And um, hopefully I'm not fired tomorrow. But anyway, if you would, turn with me to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. And I'll start reading at verse 13. What, what led me to this particular passage was the process in which Christ called disciples to himself. 
A disciple is simply one who learns of God or has a desire to be more like their teacher. And, and just by a show of hands, I believe that I'm in a room with people who desire to be more like Jesus. Amen. All right, so I'm in, I'm in a room of disciples. Um, disciples, they, they come in many shapes, many sizes, many different positions. Um, so a disciple is not relegated to the fivefold ministry. So you don't have to be a person who has graduated seminary, a person who's graduated Bible school, a person who's graduated from all these different schools that are out here, some that you can pay for. I'm not against after doing this last thing. I might pay for the next one. Um, no judgment. But um, whatever you go, you don't have to go through that in order to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I didn't want to be historic, but can we take a history lesson real quick? All right, so we have to understand the world and the environment that we live in. As a Christian, you are not called to live without being involved with everyday life of other people. See, the phrase that we're in the world and not of the world does not give us a right to be antisocial with people who don't look or act like us. And so you can't be ignorant to the things that are going on, to the times that are going on, and just giving out false hope, saying one day things will get better. Because all we do when we say one day things will get better is we create a drug in churches where people get to, to shout and people get to say hallelujah, people get to dance, people even will fall out, but won't change. And at some point, people start taking an inventory of their time and saying, was it really worth the time I put into that? And they find things that they believe are more productive with their time. But if people can come in contact with a real God who loves them, and when they come in contact with a real God who loves them, they meet people who have come in contact with him and act like him, and they notice that by association, their life comes to a new level. I want to say something, and it might not be new to you, definitely not new to me, but how many of you know the, the Christian life a little bit messy? It, it ain't as clean as some of these folk be saying it is because they the main one doing some of the mess. And if, if I'm going to do life with you, I have to be willing to believe that you're not perfect and be okay with that. As long as you can commit that, hey, I understand this happened, but let's get back up and walk again. See, see, when people come to me, I'm not necessarily listening to how they fail. I'm trying to get into where I can help them get back up because I don't care how many times you fail and what you fail from. All I care about is do you believe that God loves you and that he can pick you back up and carry you to where you need to be? So we got to get out of this bougie Christianity where we can't be bothered with those sinners. And just because you don't sin like them doesn't mean you don't sin. So we have to get on an even playing field. 
and make this about our relationship with God and not about a popularity contest of who looks better than who. And then we can have a small group meeting. (laughs) So in Mark chapter 3, watch what Jesus does when he calls his disciples to him. It says, and he went up to the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. How many know God wants you? That God doesn't have to put up with any of us. He's not obligated to bless us. Let me talk about this for a second. I felt that. I felt that. Grace is not an entitlement. Grace is an enablement. And so there has to be a level of cooperation on both sides. Because I wouldn't want to give my life to someone who doesn't want me. So Jesus said that there are these, and, and these were, these disciples, you know, the, 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 the drawings and the artistry that drew out the disciples got it wrong. Disciples were teenagers and young adults. They were young. Jesus wanted to hang out with the young people. They weren't a burden to him. And he was willing To do life with them. He says, and then he appointed the 12, so he selected his dream team, that they might be with him, so he turned them into a small group, and that he might send them out to preach. We got this backwards. Folks go out to preach before they ever spend time with him. I'm going to tell on myself, my wife and I, we had about 16 20, 32 hours or so just road tripping, just making up for lost time. Amen. And uh, we had a fun conversation. I was telling her about my first time I had a trial sermon at the first church I ever worked for, right? So do you know that if you're in leadership, people are watching how you act and they subconsciously pattern themselves after you? And in this particular environment, It was all about serving the man of God. That's it. Not Jesus, the man of God. Difference. They worshiped the man of God. In fact, they had a gold altar in the lobby with his picture. It's called an altar (laughs) in church in the 2000s. Yeah, I know, right? Go figure. And, And so subconsciously in my mind, my picture of ministry was the picture that I saw from leadership. And so the first time I get a call to, hey, Vinny, you're up tonight. Uh, Go get him. Amen. Praise the Lord. I said, well, I need to do what they do. So what did I do? I went ahead and got my car washed. I had a brand new Altima at the time, got my car washed. Because at the end, they were going to back my car to the door And I could just hop right in after I got done preaching. Mind you, I ain't put a scripture on a paper yet. I got my suit ready on a Wednesday night with cufflinks. Who wear cufflinks on a Wednesday night? It don't matter. That's what I saw in my head. 
I come to church expecting the ushers to carry. Back then I had the Bible and the little notebook. Ain't nobody around my car. So I'm going down to the pastor's study. Mind you, this is a trial sermon, y'all. I'm going down to the door of the pastor's study because clearly if you don't get an hour of prayer in before church, you're not going to have Jesus with you because he needs you to pray an hour or else he don't really think you want it, right? So I went down there to get my hour of boshaka, boshaka, boshaka. Just get you a good headache, sweat, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I went, went to the door and the pastor's study was locked. Why? Because he wasn't there. I ain't know that all them people showed up just because he was there. I ain't know that. So now, pre-service prayer, and I don't have an entourage to walk me out. So I walk through the back door thinking I'm going to walk out like a man of power. That door locked. Why? The pastor ain't there. Make a long story short, I sat in my old staff minister chair, walked myself up, and had to start my own car and drive home. See, y'all don't laugh at me. (laughs) But all that and no Jesus because of the model that was before me. Now, thank God that I've grown and Minister Houston just has to start my car, but (laughs) (laughs) but our purpose is to be with him before we do anything. The title of tonight's message is The Power of Priority. The Power of Priority. We have no power unless we're aware of God's presence. And so many people miss a move of God searching for the spectacular. Many people are expecting God to do things their way, but are unwilling to spend time with him to learn how to do things his way. And the more we spend time with him, that is what defines us as true disciples of God. Because when I spend time with him, he lets me know the difference between what's good versus what's right. It's a difference. We can get caught up in doing so many good things that we forget about the thing that is most needful, and that is to spend time with the Lord. I would say for the last seven months, I have taken myself through a personal grief recovery program. Now, before you judge me, listen. I was taught to disregard my emotional health for the sake of being a soldier for Christ. The first 10 years of full-time ministry, 
I was operating not really looking internally to see how well am I doing. And I found myself keeping myself busy enough so that I didn't have to talk to God about how I was doing internally. Constant activity at times is a cover-up for what's really bothering you. It is dysfunctional to say, I am going to do X, Y, and Z so I can keep my mind off of this. The proper thing to do is ask yourself, why am I feeling this way and needing these activities to keep my mind off of this? If you are only, hear me, only as a single person serving in church so that you don't fornicate. I want to ask you, what are you afraid of when you stop serving? Because fear serving is not serving in faith. Just like fear giving is not giving in faith. That's why God said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, I don't want your money if it's under compulsion or you feel like you have to give this. But I want a cheerful giver whose heart is in their giving. And during this season, I'll be honest, it was rough. Because typically, when I go talk to, because I, Y'all, look, I need preventative maintenance just like everybody else. Like when I talk to people about marriage help, typically we go and talk about Ashley's side of the marriage because mine is perfect, right? (laughs) But I had to realize that spending time with the Lord is actually a mirror of myself. And when you sit at his feet, he begins to deal with areas that you spent years glossing over. And it's been in these months that he's been able to go to areas that I didn't even know were hurting. And after I began this process, I realized that I couldn't do this by myself. So two things happened. One, I became a part of a men's small group because men get to talk like men in a men's small group. Amen. But I believe that as the leader of small groups, that I needed to have a small group myself. And for weeks, we would get on the phone or in person, and we would meet together and be vulnerable with each other and talk about life, and and, and it helps us to have encouragement and empowerment to talk about things that we wouldn't talk about on a basic service day. Because typically in church, When we walk by and we shake someone's hand and say, how are you doing? What is the classic response? Bliss. (laughs) But when you do life with someone and you care about them and there is no judgment, they can be vulnerable. I realized that first, as a man of God, there there were things that I need to grow up in because on the outside... I'm doing well. But on the inside, there are things that the Lord is trying to get me to come up higher in. 
And I thank God for a wonderful wife who not only affirms, but she encourages. And when she corrects, it's not in a nagging way, but in an empowering way. And one day I came home, I kid you not, it was in December, and it was a Friday night, and I am the socialite in the marriage, and my wife loves to be at home. So me being the socialite, I scheduled parties all weekend at our home. (laughs) But I was so busted up from not just the week, but the years of emotional stress I was carrying that on that Friday, I came home at 5 o'clock, 5.30, because I I didn't leave early, John, I promise. 5.30. 5.36 if you GPS it. And I just sat there, and I couldn't do anything. Who do you call? When you don't even know you're having a meltdown, but you're having a meltdown, and you're just, just there. My wife, she had to go out by herself to get all the groceries for all the parties that I had planned by herself. And I, just had, I was just there because I was so beat. During that time, my wife and I, we took an assessment on our marriage. And, and again, my side of the marriage in my mind was perfect. And I realized that when you actually ask the hard questions, I was not doing as well as I thought in my own marriage. But because we never slowed down long enough to talk about it, we're fine. Until not only am I faced on that sofa with now this report, and my wife now is out in Atlanta shopping for stuff that I put her up to do. The next morning, we have an all-day Connect class, and as soon as that Connect class comes and, and the alarm rings because I'm passionate about that, I hop up out of my... my I really slept on the, I slept on the sofa that whole night. I ain't even moved. I, hopped, I did take a shower, though, before I came and taught you, I promise. <laughs> but I hopped up at 7 o'clock, no problem, and darted right to work and was the first one there in the office and taught those three hours. And we had a great day and 40 people were connected to the ministry. I went home and we had our party after party. I'm still sorry about that. But, but we did and it was a great weekend. And on Sunday after I came home from church because we had great church services, my wife sat me down and we were just talking in a loving way. She said, babe, I wish that you cared about me as much as you cared about what you do. And y'all know I wanted to say something back but had the boo-boo face. Because she was right. I was beat from what I was doing that I didn't have time to be who God first called me to be, which was her husband. God only called me to give 100%. We can't give any more than 100%. Because I realized that I was giving 110%, which means my wife was being short-circuited somewhere else. That broke me because I'm up here 
teaching y'all. And because whatever, y'all think whatever, and then I don't have no whatever. And I can give off like I don't have whatever if I don't talk about whatever, but tonight I feel like being transparent, so whatever. <laughs> I'm up here teaching on Thursdays, on Sundays, getting called to speak all over the country and failing at home because I neglected being with him first. I sat there that Sunday night at that table with that report and I realized, if I'm honest with you all, we've been in ministry together 10 years. I've been in ministry 11. And over the last six years, we've had five different, six years of marriage, we had five different leadership changes in church. Five. But I only have had one wife. So if I wake up, see that no matter what happens on the job, the one I better be faithful to is her. But where that starts is first being committed consistently to him. And I took an evaluation of my day and I realized that we had a lot going on because there will be busy seasons in your life. But what that means is that the free time that you still, yes, you still do have, trust me. The free time you have, you have to minimize that so first you can spend time with him. Because this Christian life is not about us balancing work, career, and God. This Christian life is about God being the center of our life and funneling everything we do out of him being the center. So he tells me what to do. He tells me how much I should serve. He tells me what time I do this and when I do that. When to accept invitations to speak. When to decline invitations to speak. And when I spend time with him, he helps me to be the husband I need to be for her. But this starts individually. Because if problems in the marriage were because of the other person, and and I was the one who had the problem, she didn't give me a reason to have a problem. She never has. I can truly say in 10 years of being with her, I have not one time ever had to check her phone and wish I would catch up talking to her. I never, never. Never giving me a reason. Always encouraged me. Never beat me down. In life, it was my issue that I took from my singleness into my marriage. Because we live in a performance-based environment. And I thought that in order to get what God has for me, I have to work myself to the bone. But I had to realize that God has already deposited everything that I'll ever need on the inside of me. So I was working for something I already had. When I realized that I'm accepted in the beloved, I don't have to do what I do for affirmation or to be accepted. I can be who I am. Truly, there is nothing like being free. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. So you don't have to contort yourself and change yourself to be accepted by a group of people who will forget about you years to come. But when you trust in God, He will cause you to be what he's made you to be. It's the best lesson I could ever share with anybody 
from small groups. So if I'm honest, I stopped giving the ministry 110%. And guess what? The ministry ain't even noticed. I started giving her more. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> I need to give back to the word. Amen. Amen. 100%, that's all you can give. But it comes from prioritizing your life, right? You're not called to be this great person. You're not. You're called to be with Jesus. And he will make your name great. When I understand my purpose, that will be what determines my priorities. But if I don't know what God has called me to do, I'm going to be a jack of all trades and a master of none of them. I understand I didn't, you know, I got the light skin side of the genetic pool. I couldn't jump. Uh, I, I, I can't sing. I'm, I, I can't draw. All, all I can do is, is what y'all see. So when it comes to going out and shooting hoops versus spending time in the Word, I'm going to spend time in the Word because I know my purpose. If you feel like your time is being taken by all these things, reevaluate why God has put you here on this earth Reevaluate your motive behind why you're doing what it is that you do. Reevaluate the need to please others and why when by faith you already please God. And he said that when I please God, he makes my enemies to even be at peace with me. So if you ever desire to be in leadership, one thing you've got to get down is that you're not going to please everybody. And don't even try. Please him. And in the end, they will see that you follow God. My goodness. Because we live in a performance-based world, our flesh tries to get us to prove ourselves constantly. In our quiet time with the Lord, are we reading for completion or comprehension? In our performance-based world, there is an all-out assault on your I didn't have a clear definition of what the Bible meant by heart until last night. When I read heart in the Bible, automatically I considered that to be my spirit man, automatically, without studying, without going to a concordance and seeing what the actual Hebrew or Greek, if it's in the New Testament word, was. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. Oh yeah, this is going to be a whole lot longer than I thought. 
Yeah, we're just going to have to pick a place to uh, unplug tonight. There's, there's so much because for so long we've neglected our hearts in our relationship with the Lord. Some of our hearts have been so beaten up by life that we don't even use our heart anymore. <laughs> but your heart is the glue that connects you to the plan of God. And if it's broken, it's why it's hard to connect to what you believe God has for you. It's why it's hard for you to believe that God actually has a plan for you. See, the reason why God wants to be with us is because he said in Jeremiah 29, 11, for I know the thoughts that I think towards you, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. So that when you go to him and call upon him and you pray to him, that he'll listen to you. But if our heart is not in the right place because of a myriad of reasons, we'll doubt in God's love that he'll even listen to what we ask of him. We'll get to a point, as Proverbs says, that we've had so many setbacks that we don't even hope anymore. That we, we don't even believe anymore. And when we stop believing, we start taking life into our own hands. When we stop believing, we start trying to figure out, okay, one plus one is two, two plus two is four, so if that's the case, then I'm going to do this, do that, and y'all know how we do it, and woo, 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 and then boom. But when... You trust God with your heart. He will show you where to go and what to do. Proverbs 4 and 23. In the New King James it says, Keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it springs the issues of life. The Amplified says, Keep and guard your heart with all vigilance and above all that you guard. Anybody ever have a roommate before that liked to eat your food? And my my brother said, me, (laughs) guilty. Uh, But when it came down to that last, you know, that last Rice Krispie treat, you borderline went to bed holding on to it behind the pillow because you guarded it above all else. The word heart right there uh, comes from two Hebrew words. The two Hebrew words make reference to one central thing. I'm going to explain that. We all familiar with doors, right? A door. Everybody? All right. Door. Door. On one side of the door, when you go, like if I went out this door, that door for me becomes an exit. For me to come back into that door that same door becomes an entrance. So when you're reading the word of God, you have to pinpoint, 
Is it talking about the heart as an exit or the heart as an entrance? For further study, go back up and start at verse 20 and 21 and 22. And the word heart there means an entrance. Okay? The verses before is talking about the heart as an entrance. And it's basically saying, let the word of God enter your heart. The heart is the center most place of a human. It is the seat of their thoughts, their will, their emotions. In layman's terms, your heart is your free will. Your free will. The angels are so messed up about us having free will that in Psalm 8 they said, what is man that you are mindful of him to give him the ability to have free will? Choice is a gift from God to every human being because God desired a relationship with you where you chose him and didn't serve him because you were forced to. And so being that heart is our free will, it says guard your free will. And that heart right there means exit. Guard your exit. Because out of your exit flows your life condition. But I'm going to ask a question. How do we guard our heart? Who heard the scripture, guard your heart before, by a show of hands? Now, keep your hands up if you know how to guard your heart. You're going to keep your hand up? I'm going to call on you. <laughs> All right. Go to Philippians chapter 4. I want to show you specifically how you guard your heart. And guarding your heart helps you to determine what is of preeminence on your priority list. Philippians chapter 4, verse 7. So if we compare Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Guard your heart, guard what comes out, guard that exit above anything that you do because out of it flows your life's condition. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 7 says, it's the peace of God. What is the peace of God here? Your perfect relationship with him. Stay with me. What guards our heart, another word for guard is filter. What filters our heart is knowing and believing I have a perfect relationship with God right now. But what I'm hearing by the Spirit of God is how. Because God is so good and his peace is so vast that it surpasses all of our understanding. 
Keep another finger right there. Go to 1 John chapter 3. We're going to learn us some word, go home, watch this basket, I mean, and pray in the spirit. First John, chapter three. So let me build this thread, and I'm gonna go home. I want y'all to listen to this again if you, you know, want to follow back along. But I'm, I'm building this train for us to end on to go home and have a good evening. Proverbs four says that we should guard our what? Philippians four seven tells us what guards our heart. The peace of God is what? A perfect relationship with God. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 20, if it's hard for you, everybody say out of your mouth. If you're a born-again believer, say, I have a perfect relationship with God right now. Let's say it again. Say, I have a perfect relationship with God right now. Point to yourself. Say, I have a perfect relationship with God right now. 1 John 3 and 20. If it's hard for you to believe that, then this describes you. It says, for if our hearts, oh my goodness. Again, that word in now the Greek is cardia which translates to the same Hebrew word that we've been talking about this whole time. If our heart, our cardia, our free will, thoughts, and emotions, not your spirit, man. So if you found it hard for yourself to say that right now, this moment, I have a perfect relationship with God. He answers by saying, if your emotions, if your thoughts, if your words are, they're the ones that are condemning you. God is greater than your heart. So if any moment you condemn yourself because of past mistakes and things that you didn't do right and you're starting to get down the way that you guard your heart because when you get down on yourself, you start doing things that look like you're down on yourself. But guard your heart by not focusing on your heart because when you focus on your heart, you live guarded. The way you guard your heart is you guard your heart by focusing that I have a perfect relationship with God. The fact that you have a perfect relationship with God will be what guards your heart. So when Proverbs tells us to guard our heart, he's saying, focus on my peace, not your pain. Because God is greater than our heart. And he knows all things. Next verse. Verse 21. Now, if your heart isn't condemning you, your feelings, your thoughts aren't condemning you, the only reason is because you have confidence toward God and not in how good you are. And whatever we ask, we receive from him. Why don't I want to spend time with the Lord? Because I don't feel like he want to talk to me. 
But you have to tell your emotions. Tell your feelings. You have a perfect relationship with God. And when you tell yourself that, whatever you go to him, knowing that there's nothing your God will not manifest that he's promised in his word concerning you. That you can actually get to a moment in your walk with him that the very thing that you thought was impossible to have in your life, you are now holding and seeing in plain sight. Not because of you, because of him. But what stops us from doing that is our priorities are out of whack because we're putting time in other things because we don't believe we have a perfect relationship with God. Let's stand. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This message is filled with, it was just so rich when I began studying this. Because after this part, I'm going to go into the seven letters to the seven churches. And the seven letters to the seven churches, I believe, apply to us in these last days. But every issue Christ dealt with was a matter of what they believed about themselves and not a matter of action. Hopefully next time I'm able to stand before you, we'll be able to get into the word and see that there is no such thing as a lukewarm Christian. It's not. But the more I studied this, the more I was checked because today my my faith is not there where it should be. When I studied this message, I realized I was trying, I am trying to do this life based off what I can do. And not based in him. Who if I consider my entire life hadn't been my ability anyway. It's been him opening up the doors. It's been him providing. It wasn't because I was at the right place at the right time saying the right thing. It's because he loved me. And he loves you. So much. That all he wants to do, he wants to hang out with you. Every day that you sleep, he's there in the room with you waiting for you to wake up because he has so much he wants to show you. He wants you to stop telling yourself that you're not good enough. He wants you to stop telling yourself that you're going to fail because that didn't come from him. And he wants you to stop telling yourself that he's mad at you because he's not.
Let's make this personal to God during this altar call tonight. I'm not interested in the one, two, three, four step altar call process this evening. I want this to come from your heart. Make it personal. Because could it be you're like the the flea that was inside of a jar that had a lid on it? Prior to the lid being on it, it was able to hop in and out of the jar. But because the lid got put on it, it began to get conditioned to bumping its head. That when the jar was taken off of that flea, it refused to jump higher than the lid because of its past failures. Don't be like that flea tonight. So with hands lifted to God. Worship God out of your own mouth. And if it's tough, let me help you. Because I want everyone to have this relationship that is better to me than life itself. If I can say what 2016 has been, it's been a year for me getting to know God for myself. Because a handed down faith is a watered down faith. And I've tasted and seen that God is better than his reputation has been. Hallelujah. Come on, hands lifted to the Lord. Father, this evening, we're committing to going back to our original purpose as Christians. And that is to be with you. Hallelujah. There's things that you want to download to us, things that you want to share with us so that we prioritize your plan and do your plan. Hallelujah. 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 Hallelujah.